BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Yo, what up? This is DJ Newmark, a.k.a. Uncle New. From Jurassic 5, and you're checking out the library with my main man, Tim Onicole, on www.rapstation.com. Fit for rhyme, BS fit to spit. The hate, the hate produced, swung up in a noose. Most in his Public Enemy Frontman, hip hop legend, rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee. He's Chuck D. Chuck D, welcome to the library on rapstation.com. Hey, thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure. I think you're one of the best that ever, you know, that's ever done this. And we're talking about a long period of time just to be able to give a, a contrite interview and, and, and nail um, people with a direct response on. on on the questions that hardly ever get asked. So I commend you and salute you on that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. So, you know, Public Enemy is set to release your 15th album on July 15th of this year. It's called The Man Plans, God Laughs. Uh, what's the overall mission of this album? I think the mission of, of the album is not to just pre- present a, a record. I mean, there's a trillion records out there. There's also a past and a catalog and a history that Public Enemy has done. But um, there's some significance in in this releasing uh, of this particular record. The state and time is, is totally different. You're talking about a group that's inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame two years ago. So this is the first of its kind. You know, what record has come out from a hip-hop group that actually was already inducted? And, and for the first three inductions, it hasn't happened. But Public Enemy has been going on for 28 straight years. Unfortunately, we knew that the Beastie Boys would have been able to do it. We we want more from Run DMC, and we would love for Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five to come together and do something. But I guess we're it, and so um, so here it is. I think being at the age of 55 this summer and Flavor 56, we're in rarefied air, and um, there's there's really no expectations of anybody that's been I guess this high up in age doing something this contemporary with uh, this many, I guess, I guess the relevance of many countries waiting to say, okay, okay, just to check it out. So I think on this record, inspired as in the in the bio, of course, inspired by sonically what Kanye was able to do with Jesus. I think also what Run the Jewels with LP and Killer Mike, just both of them getting in the, in the lab together. And also what Kendrick Lamar was able to do with his topic and his fearlessness. 
it was a combination that 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 was inspiring to uh, myself and Gary G. Wiz, and we said, hey, look, we if Killer Mike and, and LP can go into the studio, we've been working together for over 20 years. Every eight years, myself and Gary G. Wiz get in the lab. So Apocalypse 91 in 91. 1999, there's a poison going on. In 2007, how you sell soul to the soulless people that sold, our soul, that sold their soul. And our biggest record in the last 25 years has come off of that. And that was harder than you think, which is one of the top five records we've done of all time. Still <laughs> uh, lesser known in the United States, although it's been in significant films. You just mentioned uh, working with Gary. Uh what is that collaboration process like? I mean, is it something that you guys have to, you know, I mean, in the age of email, obviously, like you guys don't have to be in the same room or, you know, to uh, collaborate. I mean, but is it, do you work best with him if you guys are in the same room together? Or, I mean, have you gotten to the point where you can, you know, be an emailer or text? Well, I mean, 25 years is tele telepathic. Yeah. We're in the same area. So it's not like I'm East and he's West. We're both West. and um, I cut you know, a lot of my vocals in, um, by J.P. Hesse and, and Castaway Studios, where I cut a lot of the black and man um, um, vocals. And we said, hey, look, I, I, I said, you know what, Gary, totally this is up to you. And um, uh, Gary lost his dad last year. Flavor lost his mom a year and a half ago. This record is dedicated to their memory. So it's something that actually came. There's some energy that's over the record. And I, and I said, well, look, I'm going to just cut vocals and give a direction to whatever you choose, and then you're going to take the vocals. And the the beautiful thing about this is a lot of vocals on the cutting room floor, which damn near sets a template. I personally feel that the, this this record sets a standard for what how a 55-year-old, over 50, or even really over 40-year-old MC should spit. You know, like the uncle on the porch, too? Yeah. And, and the uncle doesn't mince too many words. It doesn't say too many words. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this record signifies that. It's more like George Foreman when he fought Michael Mora for the heavyweight championship. He didn't have all this flash and dash. He just, you know, knocked Mora out with one plodding punch. And I think the words drop like fender blocks. And uh, and we try we try to go for for the, um, the initially this idea came out. We wanted to make a 15 minute album meaning that we we wanted to make each song not even make two minutes, like sort of like a Ramones punk approach. We couldn't do that. But the whole key on this record is that the, it's so much less is more. The 30 minute it's really a 29-minute some-odd second record and um, best records on the, on the album, uh, to me, are the ones that are like two minutes. I mean, powerful. They're like short Bruce Lee kick jabs. So there's, there's areas where... The music breathes so much, and the words just come in and ride it. I believe that a 20-year-old MC and 16-year-old MC and 30-year-old MC at max could come up with lyrical gymnastics. But if you did something like that before, what are you proving against yourself? Let the music breathe. We eliminated the third verse, which I think increasingly as we go in hip-hop, the third verse is becoming useless. That's why you see a lot of collabs. The collaborations... And remixes are like like in the NBA. It's like it's like the three pointer. It's like to the point. It's like yes, it's a whip, and then after a while, it becomes a crutch, and after a while, the game just morphs. So we felt that you know, if you're an established artist for many years, you have a catalog. Um, we eliminated the third verse, 
and the ver- vocals are sparse but heavy and powerful and listenable if you're trying to actually cross not even the barrier of who's going to already check you out, but the barrier of somebody's young that wants to be able to feel the, the music. I think there was something in, in the emergence of EDM, Tim, and I think there was something in the, in the, you know, the happening of ringtones about seven or eight years ago. There was something there. Not to say that the ringtone would be a record, but what a ringtone did for uh, MC, I think it, it signified there's something between the ring, ringtone timing and something that, that, that covers the two-verse area. And I, I personally feel that there's a burnout area in hip-hop and rap music. Why? I just think because there's a lot of material out there. We, we, we judge a lot of material at Rap Station. We get a lot of stuff. But I do think that most records end between three minutes and five minutes, and I think that's a burnout area. I think either you're going to come up, you need records that come up with two minutes, 201, 213. In the range of what Peter Piper and, and my, my Adidas did, or just make, you know, epic eight-minute, nine-minute records, you know. And I just think that's beyond the sonic. So that's just the technical aspect of it. I think the point of view actually reflects and and what we're seeing now in today's world in 2015, even the big difference from 2014 to 2013. A lot of things went on, whether it's, uh, you know, the questioning of authority and police brutality and, and, and the issues of corporations just trying to make people into a mindless hump. And just, you know, this speaks at all governments for saying that you're getting far away from, from human beings. And so Man Plans, God Laughs, the title actually came from Julius Dr. J. Irving when I actually did an uh, Emmy Award-winning voiceover for his um, documentary. And then one incident happened in his life where he and his brother had these plans, and his brother passed away. And uh, Dr. J. said in the documentary, well, you know, I guess, you know, Man Plans, God Laughs. And the first time I ever heard of that. So on Rap Station, when I actually did an interview with Mike Tillery, in the sports area rap station and was with Dr. J. I told Dr. J, I said, it inspired me so much. I wrote a whole album about it. He said, yeah, that's true. You know, I grew up in the church and that's what they will always say. Man plans, God laughs. But then Dr. J added, well, but plan anyway. (laughs) So so that was, uh, that's the thing. And the undertag of the album is if we don't matter, no lives matter, which means that uh, us as human beings, that's the synonymous language of the planet Earth uh, through culture, tying us together with our similarities. Very, very important. Uh, you obviously covered a lot there, and I want to talk about some of the tracks, but also, um, well, actually, I want to talk about the last track of the album, which would have been my last question, but it kind of sums up what you were talking about with this album, Less Is More. Yeah. Uh, looking at the lyrics page, uh, you get to uh, the last track, which is uh, Praise the Loud, and I couldn't find any lyrics. So I imagine that's just an instrumental. So I wonder. I was wondering why end the album with that? Well, that record was an intro of it originally. But you know, like the, in a regular public enemy fashion, you know, it, it, we, we got to an area looking at each other and said, this is not only is it, not only is it too long, but it's, it's so typical of starting off our records with our intro. So we made it an outro. And no sympathy from the devil turns into be a really offbeat, unusual intro. But it is an intro. It's not really, a, you know, the bang-out performance record, but it's a sinister entry. So, uh, yeah, it was like one of the last-minute calls. Sequencing is very important for 
for Public Enemy record because Public Enemy has always been based off of album concepts, and so the sequencing is is, is always been just as important as the production. And the sequencing of you talking about a 29-minute record, you know, it's, it's paramount. So it, it ended up being an outro. It ended up being a, a better outro than it was an intro. Originally, there was lyrics to it, but um, it was one of those things where they ended up on the cutting room floor. So much stuff ended up on the cutting room floor as, as far as vocals. I was very happy about the stealth, uh, the, the, the sparse, I should say, um, approach to this. I, I do believe that, um, you know, it's almost like when the uncle tries to prove that he can spit like the like like his nephew or son, it's like it's nobody's trying to hear what the old dude is saying anyway. So say say strong things in short bursts and, and call it a day. And uh that comes from the experience of just, you know, how I talk to younger heads, which is pretty much everybody under 50. Actually, that's what I noticed uh, I noticed about this album is that there's a lot of uh, references to youth uh, in your lyrics. And uh, in the title track, Man Plan, uh, Plans God Laughs, the first bar is, uh, let it be what it is, fight the power for the kids who don't know, you may ask yourself, figure it out. And then you end, a, you end the record with, be the change you want to see, I want to be, let it be revolution. And then you have half point saying, do it for the youth. Uh, how do you connect with youth without them thinking you're that guy who's talking at them as a, you know, opposed to working with them? Well, you know, the language, you got to really, you know, pick out that language. And also you got to, you know, you got to understand how much time you have to get, get across to them. You, you should also have an understanding that you, you're not trying to be their friend and you're not trying to do anything to appeal to them. You know, people gravitate to, to something that they figure out that they can actually draw from on, on their time. I just think we entered a period, um, I mean, as far as even 15 years ago, where you start seeing older people capitulate their age and their values to try to be hip to young people. And before it used to be the other way around. I'm already hip. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tell cats all the time, I say, it's easy to speak your language, uh, you know, and, I, and really seriously, I'm hipper than your father and your next son. So how about that? <laughs> be like, yo, OG, I got you, I got you. So you you give younger generation a chance to breathe. Uh, I never blame youth for, youth for anything. We have to really hold accountable those that also got into that, that zone of, of 30 to 45 or maybe 28 to to 43. Like, okay, you know, you're not no child and you ain't going to try to be, you ain't going to be hip to you. So where you standing, you know? That's what it, then that, that that area, am I, you know, am I a radical? Am I a pacifist? You know, am I scared to fight? Am I grown? You know, am I owned? You know, that that's a challenge to the 28 to 48 year old. Like, okay, where, where do you stand? I understand the teenager. I understand maybe even somebody who's cracking 20, 21, but I'm trying to figure out where you at. I understand an old head at 55 and 60. I'm trying to figure out where's that zone of 28 to 45, that powerful zone that, that teenagers need more than ever. Are they trying to, have they lost themselves trying to appeal to them? Or they do they stand on their own ground of some kind of principle and value, whatever they might feel that it is? There's a, one of the tracks on the, uh, the record, uh, 
give peace a damn. I, I imagine the overall theme of that record can be summed up with uh, these lyrics. Uh, quote, every, every hood is the same. The only difference is the slang. Uh, why are we, why do you think we're so divided and how can we convince people, give peace a damn? Well, you know, it could go first, both ways, you know, authority got to give a damn. <laughs> a lot of times the authority comes in, whether it be government, corporations or enforcement, and they disturb the peace. Then they tell you that, well, we, we're going to, we're going to present the disturb, that, that disturbing of the peace with our authority. So it's like, well, you guys crack the, the damn peace in the first place. So um, to give peace a damn was a, was a point going to a lot of different areas of, okay, if you want peace, you got to work for it because there's always something that's trying to get you to fight, you know, against yourselves, usually for nothing. But also authority comes in and they, they like to sometimes exacerbate things. So um, giving peace a damn is, is really trying to understand what kind of peace you want and what what is peace in the first place i want to i want to move on to uh the track uh honky tonk rules because it, it, it samples the rolling stones and what kind of stood out for me was something you talk about a lot with uh hip-hop artists is that we don't have or for some reason we don't appreciate uh like rock and roll artists as the rolling stones as they get older uh like we don't have the ramones this you know and stuff like that, and so it stood out to me because you were sampling the Rolling Stones. How, how did you? How did this song come together, and what's the mission of the track? But also for you, what's what's the personal and professional significance, if any, uh, does this track have to you when you're using the Rolling Stones? Well, we fought for this record. I think I was in, I was inspired by going on YouTube and seeing. Well, not just YouTube, but I knew I had the footage to, anyway, since I'm a footage collector and also a fan of the Stones, and it was our. Uh, the first time that Mick Jagger and the Stones performed this record, and it was right after Brian Jones' death in 1969, and they were in Hyde Park, which is in the middle of London. And I, I see the footage, and and Mick Mick Jagger, Mick Taylor, who co-wrote the record, Charlie Watts, and also Keith Richards. I mean, they made this joint funky. Now you could tell also that that this was like one of the first times they filling this record out, which is usually when you're taking out a band and they're performing a record for the first time, they're really funking it out because the spaces, are, are, they got unsure spaces. And when I heard this, I was like, yo, I want to cover that. I knew the Honky Tonk Woman as a record, but the, the, the performance that they did of this when the record was fresh and new was totally different, especially in the hook. Then, um, then the the in, that other record ended up, you know, with a, more like a sing-songy vocal or whatever. So I I told Gary about the funkiness and the beat, and he came back with a beat which was more like a Run D Run DMC ish joint, which I I really dug, and I built upon that and and made Honky Talk Woman, which was basically about you know some hookers in in, in New Orleans and Brazil. I made it about the damn law. <laughs> you know, honky talk rules. It's like I'm tired of one-sided laws. And, you know, and just recently, just the whole Confederate flag thing is like, okay, you know, you got, you, you got the nerve to jail people under this flag. It's just like, you know, people on another side of, of this coin is like saying, this has been so de derogatory that we've taken the talk, but I'm just tired of you trying to back up that flag with the same old talk honky-tonk rules, yeah. 
and I fought for that record because initially when we wanted to clear it, we were totally rejected by our publisher, by you know their publisher. So I reached out to the Stones, and I, and I also reached out to Bernard Fowler. And the tri- tripped up thing, um, Bernard Fowler, when I actually did a, a Rolling Stones tribute in Cleveland in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a year ago, I met Bernard Fowler and Sarah Dash and and uh, Mary Clayton and. Um, you know, Bobby Keys, who's passed on, and Ian McC- you know, I mean, guys uh, who actually was the Rolling Stones band that played on Sticky Fingers and all that. I did a tribute, and I met those those fine people, and I kept in touch with um, Bernard Fowler. First, I reached out to Marshall Chess, who used to run the Rolling Stones record label, and Marshall says, I'm not in contact with them anymore, but, you know, here's a person who's Keith Richards' manager. Maybe you can get in touch with her. I wrote her. And then I wrote Bernard, and Bernard said, hey, by the way, you know, we're down in there, L.A., getting ready to, you know, rehearse for a tour. Come on down. I was like, yeah. So me and Gag went on down to the rehearsal spot, a place that we've also rehearsed before, down in um, Burbank. And there they were. It was Charlie Watts, Mick Jagger, uh, Keith Richards, and, and um, Ron Wood, uh, Bernard Fowler and Lisa Fisher singing. And just their crew, and that was it. <laughs> and and me and Gary, so we're like looking at the Rolling Stones four hour performance, four hour performance. It's like four hour rehearsing. I mean, like Mick Jagger laying out the baby powder and doing the Mick Jam dance, and Charlie Watts playing beats, and then looking over at at me, and I'm looking behind me like, who's the he's pointing at me? It's like yo, it was mind blowing. And then uh, and talking to uh. Keith's uh, manager, they were like, well, we don't own the publishing. You know, APCO, which is Alan Klein, owned it up to from, you know, the 60s all the way up to 1969. So, you know, you had to go through them. And we first tried to reach out through them. We had the blessings of the Stones as, as, as yeah, hell yeah, yo, go for it. Yeah, you know. But then we had to get the publishing clearance. And initially we were rejected because they had a whole nother thing in their mind. They thought we were going to come across to them like maybe P. Diddy or somebody and have like 18 different publishers on there and they don't want their records like touched like that. They're like, we don't, no, man. It's like, you take it as it is and you give us 100%. We were like, we we ain't got a problem with that. We'll add on, but you you guys own the copyright. And when they found out that that we intended to, you know, not invade their copyright, they were like, all good. You know, like I said, we we wanted to have that record real bad. It's a, we performed it initially in London at the end of June, and it went over pretty big. It's a it's a different it's a different vibe, man. And well, once again, it's got that that beat that that G Wiz put to it, and um and lyrics I think that are very clear. Yeah, it it, it was a, it totally was an experience to to go the nine yards to try to get to put smack dab in the middle of this album. It's also not on the vinyl because we didn't know whether we were going to get it or not. And there was no way to actually make another version that it was either going to be a cover interpolation or it was not going to exist at all. So. I want to continue on with uh, another track, uh, Mind Again. Uh, you, you've talked, you, you said this is about a, uh, African, an African-American having a conversation with himself about his African roots and sounding conflicted about his identity. And that you also wrote that uh, you you also wrote it almost a decade ago after your experience in Africa. Uh, why wasn't this record 
this particular record released when it was written, and how do you keep a record like this relevant uh, for today? Well, I wrote this record coincidentally when um, I was at Air America in 2004, 2005, and I wrote it and kind of like, you know, couldn't, you know, figure out its way, right? And then myself and James Baum, who has actually become more significant on this record, decided to get together on writing some, you know, uh, poetry to describe, you know, in the search for our Africa within ourselves and connect ourselves to the diaspora. There's a lot of chaos going on in the continent. And there's always this doubt of, am I doing enough? To, to to reroot myself and I have an understanding of the roots. And then this tells a story of somebody that 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 goes back to Africa to help out. And and is and the journey of going back to Africa and it's like it could be, you know, Liberia, it could be Sierra Leone, it could be Cultivar, it could be, you know, any uh, Rwanda, it could be any war torn area and the mindset to go help out. The story is that this person's in the back of some place, isolated, and they step on a landmine. Because there's still a lot of landmines still scattered all throughout Africa. There's nobody else around this person. And while that's good, because you know anything about landmine, once you step on it, okay, you're stepping on it. It's not going to blow up until you take your foot off. So this person's isolated. And James wrote, actually, you know, the thoughts that go through your head as the rhymes talk about what goes through your head if your mind, your, you know, the, all this doubt, like, did I do the right thing? And is Africa really mine? And, 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 and you know, is this much different than just I, I could have stayed in the United States and still helped my people and found my roots? And, you know, all this area of doubt comes out in the song. So in my discussions about the song, it's like, I, I you know, people say, well, damn, that's not just a song. It sounds like a damn movie. You know, yeah, I mean, it's within the eyelash distance of, of kids working in diamond mines. So, you know, you, you you see somebody talking about, you know, in their rhymes or whatever, how much diamonds they got. At least that was the that was the thing definitely 10 years ago or when I wrote this record. You know, diamonds was, a, you know, a rapper's best friend. You, know, you could see the recession kind of knock or depression kind of knock the law of that down. You know, with all this going through the mind of, of of it, I, I always used to say, I said, you know, when you write a, if you're writing a rap song, you should at least have a couple of songs that you have a, you have a bigger conversation about it than the lyrics itself. It's like, what conversation can you have about a song outside the amount of lyrics that you've written? If you can write a book about the song that you've written, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a good thing for an MC to strive for, because if you don't, then, then. It doesn't mean that you're not doing the right thing or the best thing. It means that, you know, over a period of time, you're bound to repeat yourself so many times that you you keep cycling and grinding yourself into a circle. And, and grinding yourself into a circle repeatedly is a screw. <laughs> so you've got to come out of the screw. Sometimes you got to grind in reverse. Sometimes you just got to just stop still. Sometimes you got to try to elevate, you know, because you keep going in circles then it's you against yourself. The thing that breaks you out of that is that you got to just say that I, as an artist, I, I do more than just write and record songs. You know, what's, what's your, what's your performance aspect of these songs in front of people? I don't care if it's two people in a cafe. 
that's a, it's still a it's, it's a it's a grail to get past. It's a it's a hurdle to be able to make your songs from something that's two dimension into like four to five dimensions, you know, and performance does that. What's your visual aspect of it? You know, your visual presentation, you know, can you actually enhance people's imagination? So that was a challenge of mine again, bringing it from, from a written word to making it, you know, breathe something. And, and that's very important for a songwriter. Can you make that song breathe on its own and step away from it? That's always been an important aspect. You know, it might not get, you know, uh, the source quotables, but then I think a lot of these areas, they, they stay in a zone where they, they don't grow, they don't make the songwriting of hip-hop grow higher than, or they don't concentrate enough on it to say, oh, we really think this record, based on the words, has life to it beyond the song itself. Um, that's that's talking about the administration. That's why we, we try to do at Rap Station what we try to do. We try to actually... Add a science to this that goes beyond. So it's cool to be black until it's time to be black. Ain't never too late to go back and get back. So I let born afters know I rap for Africa to give to the motherland to see what's mine again. Be of service, land of dark faces. Split, colonized in 53 places. The greed went on to everything was gone. Wiped out by previous wars I worked on. Graves of the poor to clean up this mess. Left by the West, my duty to the African. Tell my next in a song, but damn, nothing around me And what the hell I step on With my head on straight I was gone too damn long Mine again Over 450 years to be exact Not paying attention, I stepped on a mine On the edge of motherland, around my head Compromising this Christian missionary position Fear, there must be some way up out of here What a bitch, mother effort Then a clean up ditch effort Stepped on some bomb shit that a past war left it Kids dying in nearby diamond mines Out here working that worldwide grind Hope somebody finds me out left behind Silentics killing me softly Malaria, but the beers, they the one got me sick Isolated while I waited With thoughts in my head about my soul intention To save my brothers and sisters my thoughts racing as my tears run down my face. Mine again. I came back to help repair what's mine. Mine again. If I move, I'm a gone. If I my soul intention to save my brothers and sisters. How we became boy instead of mister. I came too far here to be called some nigga. My foot on some bomb, I'ma end up worse than a drifter. Myself and what my foot stuck on. 360 degrees. Mine. Was it all worth it again? Is Africa really ours? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
the most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.